I want to welcome you to this uh, gathering of Heart of Life. Uh, Wherever you may be joining us from, we uh, are grateful that you would take the time that that we get to spend uh, some moments together today uh, celebrating life-changing stuff like that. That's what we love to celebrate. Today, um, I have asked for some help. I have. And so, uh, some of uh, our pastors at Heart of Life are uh, joining me today, Mr. Matt Cox, Gabe Cantrell, and Peter Assad. And, you know, this time of year, sometimes I, I feel like I just like a, ask the question, you know, are you in the Christmas spirit? And then other times I don't need to ask. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is one sweater. <laughs> You know, if your llama's wearing a scarf, you know it's cold outside. You got it, man. That is my, that's actually my favorite part about it, the llama's wearing a scarf. I, I just couldn't be any more perfect than that. No, the reason that I asked them to join me today is we are, we're really, we're getting close to the end of our Acts study. Uh, we've been at this all year long with Luke and Acts. We're, we're nearing the end, and it is really, really, really important to me that we make sure we get the big picture of what's happening when we read this God story. Like, I don't want us to miss the, the big picture that God wants to give us. And so uh, when we were talking through this, Peter, you had a great analogy for... You know, I don't know what it was like for you growing up, um, but I grew up in a Middle Eastern home, which meant that my house constantly smelled of garlic and onions. That was just a staple for us. The problem is I didn't realize that was not normal. So (laughs) I would go over to a friend's house and smells like Febreze or (laughs) whatever else it might be. And it was just the strangest thing to one day come back home and be like, oh, our house smells like garlic and onions because that's all my mom would cook with, garlic and onions every meal, every meal. And in a lot of ways, I missed it because I was so immersed within it. And we've been thinking about the book of Acts, and we've been immersed in the book of Acts now for, what, 25 weeks. And in the same way that I needed to take a step back to recognize, oh, that's why my friends don't like to stand so close to me, because I (laughs) eat garlic and onions all the time. (laughs) It's, It's one of those moments for us. What's the garlic and onions that we've been missing in the book of Acts? That's right. That's right. So today, a step back, and I didn't want it to just be me, um, but to get a bigger picture of what are those main qualities that God brings to light in this most incredible story? So, um, Matt, I think you're going to kick us off. Yeah, so uh, as we've been reading the book of Acts, I've seen the believers praying consistently. And there are those upfront verses like Acts 1, they're in the upper room, and they're devoting themselves with one mind to prayer. And then there's Acts 2, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it doesn't stop there. As we go on through the book, the apostles model prayer, the believers then pray for the mission. We find what John Stott said to be true. The purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, rather to align our will to his. And in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey, 
and they come to Asia, and the Spirit won't let them in. And then they come to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus will not let them enter. And so as Paul and Silas are communicating with God, he prevented them from going certain places, even though that's where they thought they should go. And we read just a few chapters back in Acts chapter 20, where Paul tells the people, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they pleaded with him not to go, but he knew that's where the Spirit was leading him. And in chapter 20, verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down and prayed with them. And in that moment, they're praying ultimately not to change God's will, but for God to align their hearts to his will. And when they're praying for the mission, they're praying that God will work to align their hearts to his will. Those are just a few of the gems that I picked up in Acts as we were reading through, looking at the believers. And I've actually had the opportunity to experience this here at Heart of Life. Uh, Weekly, on Wednesday mornings, we gather at 6 to pray. We pray for you, the church. We pray for the mission. And we pray for anything else that might come up. For over a year now, we've we've been gathering, praying, and it's been truly awesome to see the way that God's been working through that prayer. And sometimes he really has been granting the requests that we bring before him. But other times he's been aligning our hearts to his will instead of our own and helping us to see when things don't work out like we had hoped. And in the time we've been doing this, we've all kept prayer journals at different points that we can pray just beyond a Wednesday morning. And as I was looking through mine about a month ago, I started putting stars by the answered prayers. Mm. It was this great reminder of how God has blessed our church in so many ways. There were some pages that were just full of stars. But some of those stars went next to requests that weren't answered how we had hoped they would be. We've prayed many times this year for healing. And many times this year, God has answered those with a physical healing for those people. But we've also prayed more than once this year for people to be healed and God has brought them home to him. That's right. Those are hard moments to process. And so we go back to him and we ask him to align our hearts to his will instead of our own. And so we want to see the church continue to grow in prayer. And I would ask that you join us in praying. You're welcome to join us at uh, 6 o'clock on Wednesday. But I get it. That's really early. (laughs) It's hard for us to... (laughs) But I'm going to encourage you that if six is too early, join us in the time we have together in moments like these. Often at the end of the message, even today, we're going to offer a response time. And I'm going to encourage you. We've got people around the room, even we'll be around the room. We're willing to pray with you. And outside of us even, the people who are around the room, they're the people I want praying alongside me. You can trust them. But maybe you're not ready for that. And so just pray with someone that you do trust. Or even maybe the person you came with. And I'm making a point here to pray with someone. To pray even in a group if that's what you want. Because if you noticed when we looked at those stories, the believers were praying together. And so pray with us that God would align our hearts and will that we could continue in the mission he's called us to. I don't think there's any way to study this book and not walk away saying prayer. 
is a part of God's design for his church. Um, and I believe that this year, God has grown us in that area of prayer. I, obviously, my setting is such that I get to pray with uh, a number of people, but there is something powerful about that Wednesday morning moment what, to get to pray with that group. Um, I want to encourage you, go further than Matt said, if Wednesday morning, you know, where we gather to pray at the vault doesn't work for you, maybe you're the one to start one somewhere else. Um, this one just started because I think it was actually Matt who goes, hey, what if we get together and pray? Um, maybe you could be the one to start one in your town or your area. Um, I would encourage you to do that. But that praying together part when we gather also, don't we underestimate? No, that's exactly right. Because just thinking about how easy it is for that time to go by, because maybe, maybe I don't feel personally like there's some big thing that I need to pray for. Right. But there might be five other people in the room who do feel that. Yeah. who do feel like they need to pray about something and what's going to actually help them take that step is if I take a moment to think, okay, I may not have something specific that I need prayer for, but somebody else does. How about I model that in this moment? So if there's five people around the room, I'm going to step up and walk to that individual because by being that first person to take that step, all of a sudden the others, the five others or the 10 others in the space that we're in feel a sense of comfort That's and a right. sense of, okay, I'm not the only one. And I'm not saying we fake it, but the reality is I need prayer every single moment of every single day. So just because I don't think I need prayer doesn't mean right. that I don't need prayer, right? right? That's right. That's right. I want to challenge you. Whatever gathering you find yourself in, whether it's one of the campuses, one of the mission sites, every time we come together, I want, I, I, I want to encourage you to think forward of taking advantage of that time to pray with people. Um, Almost every time we come together, there's a response time. Well, that response together to God, don't underestimate. It's like we don't always know what we need, but we, we always need something. But sometimes you're there for somebody else too. Don't underestimate that. God, teach us to be a people who pray. Good stuff. Gabe, what do you see, man? First off... Good morning. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so I'm here to speak about joy. And um, uh, whenever I first got the email from, from Peter saying that I was going to speak about joy, I kind of turned to my wife and said, joy, why did they pick me for joy? I think <laughs> most people that have known me would say, you don't exude joy. Um, my wife and, and then Matt, even before we came up here, were like, Go look like you want to be there. Have a smile on your face. It's hard to talk about joy if you're sitting there with your eye furrowed and kind of grumpy looking. And it's just concentration, right? Yes, it's that's just exactly what it is. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, and part of it, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm unwinding this just as much as probably the rest of you are, but I battle depression. I have for a long, long time. And so I think part of my battle with joy is coming from my battle with depression. Um, but some of it also is just choices and perceptions um, that I need to make, that I need to make better choices on. And um, as I was thinking through this, and it's going to be hard for me to sit here. I'm, I'm, I'm used to like to be up, and maybe I'll go ahead and stand up. Okay. 
Um, one of the people that I think about when I think about joy, because I'm trying to model people, right? We need to find models in our lives. Is I, I was thinking, who is that person? And of all the people, so I'm 45 years old, of all the people that I've come across in my life that reminds me of joy, it's Charles Funderburg. So um, he just pops in my mind. And it's, it's that huge, warm handshake or fist bump when you see him. It's that smile. You can't see it right now. He's got the mask on. But it's that <laughs> smile that he always has. And um, Charles, you're going to have a lot of people looking you straight in the eye for the next few days. But look in Charles's eye. He just has a joy in his eye that um, I think all that comes from, and it's what we're going to see here, that comes from a deep connection with God. And I think that is the big difference between joy and happiness. And a lot of the times we link the two together, and they are related, but there's some subtle differences. And when I look at Charles, I see happiness, but I also see joy. <clears throat> so you might ask the question, well, why is Charles not up here speaking about joy? He would be excellent at it, um, probably better than, than me. But I think the Holy Spirit um, sometimes works in pastors' lives and goes, okay, you've got some work to do here on joy, so I'm going to make you write something and think about and pray about and look at scripture on joy. And I think it's been a great journey for me this week. Um, so when I read Acts, uh, joy is not the first thing that I think of. Um, uh, and again, perceptions and choices, right? Um, I, see, I see a picture of God's beautiful gospel and God's beautiful gospel being spread. And that is joyous. But we see the sinful nature of man making a mess out of that picture. Um, we see Peter get jailed. We see Ananias and uh, Sapphira struck down um, dead for lying to God. We see Stephen stoned. We see Paul beaten and jailed. Uh, these on the surface don't fill me with joy. But I think it's because, again, I'm, I'm kind of equating joy and happiness. I'm, I'm using them um, as one in the same word, and they're just not. So I think today, this little bit that I've got left here, I, I want to take a, a look into joy and happiness and what the difference is. And um, I think a good place to start with that is in Acts 5, 40 through 42. So Acts 5, 40 through 42. And at verse 40 it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So what we see in the individuals in Acts 5 is happiness, I'll call it joy, that can't be robbed. Um, they were just beaten. There's an external influence there that doesn't reek of happiness and joy. You were just beaten. How many people could come out of a beating and be, as it says, rejoicing? I don't think many of us, if any of us, I know I couldn't do that. Um, and I think it's because happiness is driven from a lot of external earthly factors. It's things like opening a Christmas present. That can bring you some happiness. 
It's seeing a loved one open a Christmas present brings you happiness. But just like those external things can bring you happiness, external things can bring you down and make you sad. And joy does not work that way. Charles, when I think about Charles, the world could be falling down around him. He's still going to have that look in his eye. He's still going to have that smile on his face. And it's because that comes from something different than external. That comes from, um, from God. That, that comes from, and I, I've, I've kind of listed five things here that I feel like fuel joy. So a deep and lasting connection with Jesus. So if you have that deep, lasting connection with Jesus, you get joy. A healthy perspective on this short time on earth versus an eternity in heaven. So keeping that perspective on this time is temporary and there's a heaven out there, a perfect heaven um, awaiting us. A proper perspective on our purpose on this earth. So what's our purpose? Is it to amass a lot of cool things? I mean, I've got a lot of cool things, but that's not my purpose. Um, It's about connecting people with God. Uh, It's about loving each other. It's about celebrating, as I'm going to talk about here in a little bit with each other. Um, It's an understanding about serving God above all other things, all the other junk that we can choose choose to serve and choose to do. It's about choosing to serve God. And the last one is letting the things of this earth take second place to God. And I've seen heart of life, small groups, life teams, individuals, put all five of these things into action. Um, The thing that pops into my head in regard to the church and and, and where I feel like we've gotten this right is, is I've been blessed with a unique perspective on the summer baptism celebrations. Um, And I get to stand there in the muddy water and look back on a crowd, on a crowd of people that in that moment has joy because they're looking on loved ones that are, um, that have given their life to Jesus and their eternity is sealed. And that is one of those five things that I mentioned before. That is one of those five things. That's what can bring you joy is moments like that. Now, where I see a struggle sometimes as church, as, as, as an individual, is we are connected in that moment, and we have joy in that moment, but in a lot of our rushed lives that, that a, a lot of us have just gotten caught up in, is we, um, we, we're, we're so quick to move on from that moment of joy, and uh, we're, we're, we're worried about the cleanup. We're worried about getting home because I got work the next day. We're worried about, ah, I got to rush to this. My kid's got a soccer game or whatever it is. We're just so rushed that when those moments of joy happen, we look at them for a few seconds and then we rush off to the next thing. And then maybe in the quiet of the day, we're, we're going, where's my joy? Well, you had lots of opportunities for joy and you chose to just blow right through them. Um, so that's kind of a challenge that I have for everyone, is that in those moments of joy, that we celebrate those, that we um, take the time to recognize them as being joyful. And I think a, a quick exercise that we can all start doing um, is, is at the end of the day, take five minutes uh, and, and write down 
think about the day, write down some of those joyous events, those joyous moments. And this is kind of training wheels, but we got to start somewhere. So write down the events, and then write down just the sights and the sounds and the smells. Just describe that moment to yourself. And if, you, if, you, if you've got so many of them, awesome. Write them all down. If you want to pick a couple out and expand on them, expand on them. But then take that next part, which is celebrating it. Praise God. Thank God for that, for that moment. Um, dwell on that moment. Celebrate that moment. Not only with God, which we should all be doing, but with your friends, with your family. Um, take, that t- take that moment to maybe invite a friend over or a neighbor over for dinner and say, hey, I had these great things that happened to me today. And hey, what great things did you have happen today? So celebrate those joyous moments um, because that's the fuel that we need to be the light of this world. And this world definitely needs us to be a light into this world. Thank y'all. That's good. That's good. That, uh, I'm going to say this real quick. That, that Charles Funderburg guy he referred to, uh, <laughs> I know him pretty well. This is the second time I've had the chance to say this this weekend. About mid-morning of every day that God gives me breath, I get a text. This is how that text reads. Son, Son, I prayed for you this morning. I love you. Every morning. And what I know behind the scenes is I wasn't the only one he prayed for that morning. A bunch of you are on that list too. You know why? Because every day he doesn't get up and rush into life. Every day, he pauses and he prays. It's amazing to me how prayer is connected to joy sometimes. And it is often that when, when, after he says, son, I prayed for you today, I love you, sometimes he'll then return with, man, wasn't that a good time last night when our family got, to, you can hear the, the joy in remembering how God has been good. That is such a little thing every morning, but often it is doing the little things, pausing to do the little things where God blows up joy in our life. Um, Maybe we should try that. Maybe we should. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, Gabe. Peter, keep rolling. Yeah, let's keep rolling. Um, So here's kind of what I've seen through Acts. It's community, community. And uh, you see a couple passages real quick. We'll roll through them. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, not just once a week, not just once a month, but day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, novel idea, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, there's that celebrating, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One more passage, Acts chapter 4. It reads this way. Now the full number of those who believed were more, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not, get this, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That is community. One heart, one mind, one body, one people, together, devoted to one another, devoted to the word, devoted to prayer. I mean, that is community. I'm reminded of this graph. Take a look at this. So we've got these two shapes. Go back for a second. We've got these two shapes, a circle and an arrow. That represents community, that white circle, that white arrow. And then we've got purpose. Purpose is the star in yellow. Some of us, um, some churches I've been a part of, maybe you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't even have to be a church. It could be a life team or it could be, um, you know, like a, a club or something. The purpose is in the middle. The purpose is what we're after. And then it shapes the community around that purpose. We become very insular and the edges are very hard. It's hard to break into that inner circle. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that kind of a setting where it's like there's this group of people and they're around something and the something is themselves. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of churches like this. I've seen a lot of life teams like this. I've seen a lot of individuals like this. But then there's, what if the purpose is something outside of us? What if the purpose is the person who's not a part of our church? What if the purpose is the person who's not a part of our circle? What happens to the community is that we're shaped with a laser focus toward accomplishing that purpose. We are just as much a shape. Uh, An arrow is just as much a shape as a circle, but the difference is one is pointing towards something. One is focused towards something. One is, is, is sharp. It's got an edge to it. That's right. And it can make a difference. Mm. And I'm convinced that the way the community was in Acts was more of that serving a purpose outside of themselves. That's right. And I've seen Heart of Life do this well. I've seen Heart of Life do this well. A few weeks back, Jeff shared about DJ and Ellen Bowman. Here's this next picture. And, uh, you know, they were going to adopt a a young boy named Jordan. And here's something that I was talking with DJ, and here's what he said. He said, we have an awesome church. The love and support has been amazing. So thankful. He, He told me in this conversation that they were at Troy, Pastor Troy and Jody's life team, when the opportunity for adoption came up. And in that moment, the life team surrounded them, and guess what they did? They prayed. There you go. And as 
the news came up that, yes, they were going to have this, this baby boy enter their family, and they're sitting in Atlanta waiting and waiting and waiting for all of this. They're getting texts and phone calls from different people in the church who made it their point to say, we are here with you in the midst of this. And then before they even got home, there were people from the church who bought things and donated things and actually set it up in their home. So by the time they got home from Atlanta with Jordan, guess what? The crib was set up. This was set up. All these things were put in place because of this church. You have been a community to DJ and Ellen and Jordan. And I wonder how many more DJs and Ellens there are that we can be a community to as well. That's beautiful. I think also of Darlis and Kenny's life team. Uh, another great example, right? It started with some baked goods at a bus stop in Latour. Next thing you know, you've got some kids' Bible studies and women's Bible studies, and then the men get involved. And next, I heard there's a next stop in East Lynn now because the, the gospel continues to go forward because the purpose is not us. The purpose is somebody else, and we become sharp. We become uh, a laser-focused community around a purpose outside of ourselves to bring others in. Beautiful, beautiful. Just a couple examples, again, of, of great ways that I've seen Heart of Life do this. Um, but I also think of ways that we can grow, uh, a couple ways that we can grow. Here's, here's, a, here's an easy one. If you've not experienced a community like this, whether it's at a life team or perhaps one of the campuses or mission sites, then I encourage you to take that step in. Make that ask. If you're not yet a part of a community like this and you've been a part of Heart of Life for a while, then email me at peter at heartoflife.org, peter at heartoflife.org, and I will be sure to get you connected to somebody near you because we all need to be part of a community like this that reaches out. But if you are a part of a community like this, it is so easy for the arrow to become the circle. It's so easy for us to lose our edge and to kind of get comfortable in this holy huddle. So my encouragement to you is if you are a part of a community like this, keep the focus on who's not there. Keep the focus on who's not there, whether it's through an empty chair at every gathering, right? You've seen that visual. Oh, who sits there? I don't know, but it's probably my neighbor and I'm going to invite them next week, whatever it might be. I even heard this week that uh, David, David Seba, uh, the reason DJ and Ellen and them were a part of this church is because David invited them to something. And isn't that crazy? It took one invite, and look at the beautiful community that's formed as a result. Because DJ and Ellen, man, they are active. They are doing incredible things at Heart of Life, too. So just think of who, who is not yet a part of our church because we're thinking about just us. Who's that person we can invite in? And who's that person that we can go and reach for as well? One more. I'll close with this. When we see a need... It's easy for us to think, oh, so many people are so busy, I can't, I can't bother them with this thing. What if instead, when we see a need, we invite someone to come with us? Mm-hmm. I see a need, and I can meet that need, but it's more important to form community around that need. So if I'm going to, if I see someone and there's a need for something, I'm going to say, hey, Gabe, would you come help me out? We're going to paint this person's house. Because what happens in that time is we're being formed together. We now are seeing community forged because when there's a need, there's an opportunity for community to stay sharp. That's good. Isn't isn't it weird? I just thought of this. As you're reading Paul's story, and along the way, he's he's letting people in. They help him. He asks them to help. You meet Timothy's along the way and all, all these guys. But by the end, 
you can hear just the cry of his heart of how much joy he's received because he let those people in. You know what I mean? They become such a, a, a strength for him throughout his life. Um, it is the true picture of community. It's beautiful. Good. That's good. All right. So we got prayer. We got joy. We got community. And I'm going to wrap it up with one more word. And it's the word that I have been saying from the very first week. It is boldness. When I look at Acts, I see boldness. Boldness is not a personality trait. That's not what we're talking about here. Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction, even in the face of threat. That's what Gabe was talking about. They, they, they kept moving, even in a threat. In the book of Acts, I would argue to the end, the greatest evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a people's life is boldness. That's what we see over and over. From the very beginning, Peter and John, who were at one time frozen in fear, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they are sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody that they can possibly find. The immediate result of that was prison, but that did not stop them. Under the threat of prison, they are speaking words that go like this. The, the stone the builders rejected, he is the cornerstone. That's Jesus. He's saying, you rejected him, but it's Jesus. There, when it comes to salvation, there is no other name. They're being bold even when they're faced with prison, even when they're faced with possible beating. And it, it makes the statement, it says, when they saw the boldness, they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. I can relate unschooled, ordinary men, but they were astonished that these men had been with Jesus. When I'm done, like done, that's what I want said. That it makes no sense because that guy didn't have enough, uh, right, smarts to, to, to be a part of what he was a part of. He has just been with Jesus. The result was boldness. When I look at Heart of Life, my struggle is like I, I see multiple places of, of boldness. One is definitely always international mission side. And I mean, you guys have demonstrated a boldness over the years, whether we turn to the east or we turn to the west, people continuing to be willing to reach into even messy parts of the world, uh, starting shelters, digging wells, um, it is amazing to me, people go on a mission trip and I watch them share the gospel of Jesus in a public school in Taiwan. I watch them walk through a village in Togo and share the gospel literally hut to hut. There is a boldness there that we pray God continues to build. But I also see a boldness um, even here at home when it comes to what I'm going to call events big events that enable us to connect to community. Um, when, when we see the star outside, um, in fact, we get to celebrate that happened last night even. Because I don't know if you heard about this or not. Some of you were, were, were a part of this, but there was a live nativity and birthday party for Jesus uh, 
at the vault on, on the square in Harrisonville for, for, is it Christmas on the square? That's what they call it. Um, after 350 pieces of cake for Jesus' birthday were served and they ran out, um, after 10 gallons of cocoa was served for Jesus' birthday party and they ran out, after 200 gift bags for little kids were distributed because they ran out, it is estimated that some 500 people walked through the vault last night seeing a live nativity, gave them a little piece of paper that described who the, who the, who the people were in the story. Because you'd be surprised, some people don't really know what Christmas really is all about. Last week, a big bunch of people pointed them toward Jesus. People came into the vault and sat down with their grandkids and, and did crafts. It was the picture of the church engaging a community with boldness. Beautiful. Beautiful. So in every one of these, you've noticed, there's been a place we celebrate, and then it's been, okay, God, what do you need to teach us? Where do we need to grow in boldness? And I'm going to say, I think for me, and I really do believe for us as a church, the, the place where he grows us needs to perhaps grow us most in boldness is simply the personal relationship side of things. It's my neighbor. Family. Friends. Right, where the risk of rejection kind of raises the bar. It's like if somebody walks through the vault and you share Jesus with them and they don't like you, well, you didn't know them anyway, right? You, you go overseas and you share the good news. If, if they reject it, it's like you might go back, you might not. But, there, but, but when it's your neighbor, like God, will you give us boldness? Will you give us boldness? One day, my neighbors are going to stand before an almighty God. I got the news. I got the news that they need to hear. God, give us boldness. Here's a couple of steps that I would just encourage you to take today. It's, I put it in just one statement, but it's, it's two steps. Ask for boldness and act the miracle. Here's why I say ask for boldness, because that's what the early church did. Um, a- after Peter and John are arrested and released, here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. Now, Lord, what are they doing? Praying. They're praying. These guys have been put in prison. Man, there's a threat here. They start praying, and one of the things they ask for, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not, hey, God, get us out of here. Not, God, hey, will you wipe out all the, right, everybody. But, God, will you give us boldness? They ask for boldness. Boldness is not an option for a Jesus follower. I mean, it's not. You're connected to him. That's the result of the Holy Spirit in your life. But it's also not a given. I guess that's the way I would say it. You ask. Um, he's, Holy Spirit's always with us, but the point is we are to always be leaning into him. Pa, the Apostle Paul, we know he's bold, but in the book of Ephesians, he's asking the Ephesians to pray that he will have boldness. 
There is this continual asking, not because we need to finally convince the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, but because we are leaning into him. That's why we ask. It's the leaning. It's the depending on him. It doesn't mean the absence of fear, but it means we push through that fear through his spirit. So, ask for boldness. But there was a second piece to that statement, and I get that for what happens next in the text. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they what? They spoke the word of boldness. (laughs) They asked, and then they spoke. So that's why I'm making the statement, ask for boldness and act the miracle. I think we got the statement again. Can we go back to the state? There we go. Ask for boldness and act the miracle. Jeff, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. When Jesus tells a paralyzed man, get up, Jesus works the miracle. He's always the one that works the miracle. Paralyzed man, get up. If I'm the paralyzed man that Jesus just told to get up, what's my part in this? Get up. I act the miracle. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I work the miracle. Jesus is the only one who works the miracle, but I act the miracle. I get up. Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, empowers his people to be bold in sharing the gospel, even in the face of a threat. My part in that, open my mouth and share the gospel. Act the miracle. Next week, My plan, unless God changes that between now and then, because he owns the plans, but my plan is to teach you a a, a particular, um, I'm going to call it a tool for sharing your faith. Now, there's a number of them that I think are fantastic, but next week, I'm going to teach one to you, and I'm doing it next week very strategically. The reason is we are in a season primed for conversation about Jesus. And I know that in the weeks to come, some of you are going to find yourselves around those very people that we need God to give us most boldness. You're going to find yourself interacting with neighbors. Merry Christmas. You're going to find yourself sitting down with family. Some who you already know have rejected, you think, who Jesus is. I want to give us a little something next week, perhaps another tool that God, will you help us to get up? Will you help us to act the miracle? Prayer, joy, community, boldness. Here's a statement that after i thinking through today, when the church is praying for boldness to share the gospel in our community, The result is rejoicing in the greatness of God. May what we read in Acts be so. God, don't just let us study. May we act on the miracle. So I'm going to pray for us. And as we usually do, At the end of this kind of time, we're going to respond to our God. 
Um, I'm not going to roll back through all those uh, opportunities. You've been given four different scenarios here of, of some areas that God needs to work. We believe in, in, our, in, the, in the life of our church, which means in the lives of, of each of us. Um, I want to challenge you as God is speaking to you, do something with that. Um, one of those was to pray. And so uh, us four and there may be some others in this particular room. If you are at a, a mission site, I want to encourage you to, to simply lean into um, uh, those who, who may be leading there, or maybe it's a, a friend that you came with today, somebody that you trust. I, I want to encourage you. That's one of the options here in a minute as, as we sing, as we, as we are hearing what God speaks, that we would respond together saying, God, will you do this in us? All right? I appreciate you guys listening today. I thank you guys for sharing today. I'll pray, and then we will respond. All right? Let's pray. God, it is, uh, this has been a fun, fun journey for me to study through this book again. And I know we're not done. I know we got a few more weeks to go, and I know there are still some amazing things that you want to show us. But God, it is truly impossible for, if we're willing to pause and if we're willing to take a step back, it is impossible not to see, God, at least these main uh, pictures that, that we have been reminded of today. God, Will you work, continue to work in my heart? Will you continue to work in our hearts? Will you continue to work in the heart of us as a church, God, that we, we will believe you and we will get up. We will act the miracle. A people who pray because we know it's got to be you. people who could complain but a people who become much more known for thanksgiving and celebration and joy because we know whose we are and why we're here and where we're going and all that's attached to that God I pray that this will truly be a community I thank you for all those who have who have gone before us, that have modeled for Heart of Life, that this is not something just internal. This is a reaching outward. God, may you give us eyes to see more opportunity to reach. And oh God, will you give us boldness. Not arrogance. Not a boldness that looks like we know it all. Not a, not a, a, a boldness that looks like we control it all, but a boldness that looks like we've been with you. A boldness that looks like the love of Jesus. Today we lean into you. And my prayer is that you will continue to bless your church. In the name of Jesus, I ask it.